The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, brought to you by Narcanon Suncoast. Hello, Jason. Hello, Joni. Here we are again. What episode is this? This is episode number 47. Creeping up on that year. I know. I Steve said something about the number last week was wrong, but then we figured it out and it's number 47. Like, All right. I just go to see how many we've uploaded and we've uploaded 46. Ergo, this is number 47. Which would make sense. <laughs> exactly. So this was a hugely busy and successful week at Narcanon. We had three or four graduates. Wow. It was awesome. And so with today's episode, we're going to bring someone on. But first, before we get into all that, I wanted to go over a little bit about what's happening okay. in, the, in the world of addiction these days. Okay. Just a couple little tidbits. Sure. There's one thing I found interesting that I came across. We've had all these celebrity deaths. Right. Over the past couple of years. And right. There's been celebrity after celebrity that's like, the celebrity died, it was drugs. The right. celebrity died, it was drugs. And it was people that we didn't like suspect were addicts, like Prince, for instance. Right. Um, Tom Petty, people knew he did drugs, but when his death was related to fentanyl, you know, it, it, was, it wasn't shocking, but it was at the same time. And fentanyl keeps coming up as a culprit behind a lot of these celebrity deaths. And when I was growing up, one of the biggest bands was the Red Hot Chili Peppers. In right. the 90s, right? Right. And the bassist, his name is Flea, and he's a very odd guy. That's right. I, I mean, remember he, that. Yeah, not, he, I wasn't a huge fan, but I remember Flea. Flea. <laughs> he, he's, a, he's kind of an odd guy. He's the bassist. And okay. he's always been known as kind of like an odd, kind of an oddball guy. And he's a great bassist, been with the band forever. And he just spoke out about the fact that he was even overprescribed Oxycontin at one point in his life. So it's like it's hitting everybody. He said he, uh, he had a snowboarding accident, broke his arm. And left with a, after having surgery, left with a two-month supply of Oxycontin. Wow. Wow. That's a lot of Oxycontin yeah. for routine surgery. That's real basic. Everything was put together fine. And he left with a two-month supply. And the doctor said, you can also have refills. Unbelievable. Why is that even necessary is the part that I don't get. Because all that does is it starts people on a dwindling spiral. Now, Flea got sober, I think, in 1993. Because... He had seen a lot of people die. He had friends die. He was wrapped up in addiction, He and he got clean. And so he had the surgery done. He was like, I can see how people get hooked because I was high as hell right. when I took this stuff. I mean, I was absolutely you know, kind of off my rocker a little bit. And he said, wouldn't it be interesting if doctors prescribe pain meds like Oxycontin and things like that, why not also start the preventative care for addiction at that point in time? Like what? Like, how like you offering counseling, follow up care. Um, you know, putting a plan in action in case you get addicted to the medicine they just gave you. Okay, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. So it's saying, okay, well, you just had the surgery, so here's this drug. Now let me tell you all about this drug. There is a potential to become addicted. Now, if you do become addicted, we have all these services that'll help you if and if and when that happens. I think that's kind of an awesome take on it in a way because if you start some preventative care you know maybe it won't go so far as the person ends up on heroin well i think it's a start but the other thing is why not prescribe four days of oxycontin right and say after that you need to take advil i here's the thing most doctors say you can take advil even right out of surgery right you don't need oxycontin well exactly but that's what i'm saying i mean but why not just don't prescribe it in the first place i, I mean, agree 
Yeah, that's I what agree. I'm saying. Um, Garth, you probably haven't listened to the podcast and everybody who's listening, Garth is going to be our interviewee today. But um, one of the things I've told Jason many times is last summer when my grandbabies were being born, I threw my back out really bad the morning I left and then had to sit on a plane for seven hours. And so by the time I got to LA, my back was really messed up. I mean, I was in super pain and it, I picked up my you know, 50 pound granddaughter and went, okay, well, I can't do that anymore. Anyway, I went to the doctor and he prescribed, um, he looked at my back. He said, you know, you have arthritis, your back is bad, what have you. And he prescribed um, steroids, which was fine because I knew that that would take the swelling down. But then he gave me a prescription for... If I get it, Norco. Norco, Norco, that's right. And my daughter-in-law, who had just had a cesarean for two babies, was taking Norco after the surgery. Okay, I get that, and she didn't take it very long because she didn't like it, but just for like a bad back, right. you know? And I was just, I was amazed. Because once I took the steroids, my back didn't hurt anymore. It was really just an inflammation thing. It wasn't, you know, I wasn't in pain anymore. But it's, anyway. It's strange when you get to the root of something that it handles versus just treating the symptoms. Because you could have easily just treated the symptoms, taken the Vicodin, the pain goes away temporarily and say, okay, great. Or actually treat the root cause of it. Which was the swelling and the inflammation because I had irritated it. Uh, First, I picked up my 50-pound suitcase and then my 50-pound granddaughter and then sat for seven (laughs) hours. And it's like, that was just I can't imagine why my back hurt. No, exactly. (laughs) It It was bad. Anyway, but but it was an unnecessary prescription because he could have said, you know, I mean, I felt that the steroids were appropriate. I didn't feel like ibuprofen was going to do it, but he could have just said, you know, take some ibuprofen, you know, or something like that. Anyway, so I like that idea. What you're saying is we have preventative care, you know, if, if, if if you you become addicted because you could, you know, and of course I think for most people, I hope most people would think twice about taking it. If someone said that to me, by the way, this could cause addiction. You could get addicted to this drug, but when you do, We'll help you find a good rehab. I would go. You know what? My I'm not going to take this. Okay. My mindset back in the day was if I looked up a drug that I got prescribed and it said it may cause addiction, I was like, "Yeah, they gave me the good stuff." <laughs> <laughs> it's awful, but it's true. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? No, yeah. <laughs> it's like unbelievable. It's like okay, cool. This is gonna. This is gonna get it. Oh, I mentioned going. Jason is a former addict. Okay, if we haven't mentioned that in a very recent podcast, there you go. Okay, so who is here today to talk to us? So We're going to get on track here. Garth recently graduated the program. Today? Well, he told yeah, me today. It was, it was yeah. today. Yeah. Actually, we, just, we just completed him today. And he's got a great story, and I thought this was a great opportunity to bring him on here and have him tell his story. And uh, when I was explaining it to him, I was like, look, this is one of those things that helps to inspire other people is we have addicts that listen to this yep. and we have their families Yep, and it might inspire an addict to get help or a family member to help their, you know, to help one of their loved ones out exactly. or a husband to help a wife, a wife to help a husband, parents to kids, kids to parents, whichever way it goes. And so I kind of let him know what the importance is of what we're doing. And so he seemed excited about it and I wanted to bring him on. And so here he is and I'll let you guys <laughs> Do your thing and let Garth tell a story. And, and you can chime in when you I'll want. I'll chime in. You always do. I always do. <laughs> well, Garth, thank you for coming today. Of now, I don't think you're going to be in the... You have to move the microphone a little bit closer. Yeah, but you're over here. Down a little bit. Oh, <laughs> down? That, you can pull it down. There you go. You want to talk like right into it. Okay. And project your voice. 
Okay. And I can cut all that out. So, <laughs> Garth, thanks for coming today. And um, you graduated the program today. Yes. So so very well done, you. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. And you, you commented in, in the car that... Um, you know, it was a bit of a long process, but, you know, as I said to you, and as I like to say to the listeners, you don't become addicted overnight, Right. you know, so the whole addiction cycle, if you will, can take quite a while. What would you say? Like a year? It depends. It's like people have this misconception that you become addicted. You take drugs and you're immediately addicted. Like the next day you lose everything and everything's a mess <laughs> and you're, you're shooting heroin and stealing from your family and doing all this stuff. And it, it, it's a progression into addiction. Right. So it's not an overnight. Get rid of it. Oh, so most definitely not. You did good. <laughs> well, how did you get started on drugs originally? So the first thing I ever did was smoke weed when I was about 12 years old. My friend Dylan back in middle school had uh, <laughs> he'd come up to me. And he's just like, I stole a joint from my mother. We're going to go in your backyard and we're going to smoke it. <laughs> but but marijuana is not a gateway drug, Garth, right? <laughs> you How many know, times have we said that? I'm sorry. I'll be quiet now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, some people have different opinions on that. You know, um, I don't really know what my opinion is on that, but. <laughs> well, you started with marijuana. Yeah, okay. Exactly. And uh, from there, I mean, I just, I knew I liked it and I just continued to just go further with it so i started smoking probably every weekend with my buddies and then uh eventually found alcohol in my parents closet <laughs> i don't know why it was in the closet but i found it in there and then i started drinking i wasn't really drinking all that much until i got in like high school and then when i got into high school i found out about pills and it was just a big big thing back at my high school you know i'm from arizona and uh, it's pretty similar to how Florida was. You guys had pill mills out here, and uh, it was big out there in Arizona, too. So, really? Yeah, it was really, really bad. And uh, so what really started me on opiates was I tore my ACL my freshman year in high school playing football. And after I had got my surgery done, I was prescribed 360 ox- oxycodones f- for two years. I was prescribed that much for With a month. 360 a month? Yeah. No, no, 180. Sorry. Three a day. Three a day. <laughs> That's a lot of pills. Yeah. Yeah. So I started out at 15 milligrams and I eventually worked my way up to 30 milligrams. So I was taking 90 milligrams a day. And, you know, one day my buddy was like, why you just take them? You should start snorting them. <laughs> so I started snorting them. And then... That's just, I just went all downhill from there. Uh, I was supposed to go to college to play football for Oregon University. Mm-hmm. I ended up dropping out when I was a sophomore because I found heroin. Because eventually they kicked me off of my uh, prescription because I was running out <laughs> yeah. like three weeks before I was getting my prescription filled. So they eventually kicked, kicked me out, tried to get me to do methadone, you know, told me I had a problem. And I was like, screw you guys. I don't have a problem. I know what I'm doing. And then I dropped out about two weeks later and uh, my buddy said, said, why are you wasting your time with pills? You should start doing heroin. So I started using heroin when I was 15 and uh, it so, was just, Okay, so I got to stop you just yeah. for a second. So when did you first smoke your first joint? How old were you? 12. 12, okay. Yeah. I think that was Derek, same way. I think same Derek way. said he was 12. Yeah. Um, and when you said soft, soft, sophomore... Hello, sophomore yeah. earlier. I thought you meant sophomore in college. You were a sophomore in high school. Yeah. Okay, 15, <laughs> shooting heroin. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I only shot up heroin once, okay. and that was uh, back in 2016. I overdosed, and I almost died. 
It was really, really bad. Was that the first time? Or? The, yeah. So the whole story behind that was I was stealing money from my grandparents because I had gotten fired from my job and I had a huge habit that I had to support. So I eventually started stealing money from my grandparents and uh, my grandma had called me, figured out I was stealing money from her. I freaked out. And I just said, I, screw it, I just need to get really high right now. So, And I had stayed away from needles at that point, but I, I don't know what happened. I just decided, and I had my son with me too. And uh, I went over to my drug dealer's house, and I just told him, hey, I'm going to shoot up for the first time. And he shot me up with what he normally shoots up, which is half a gram for my first time. And I instantly, I don't remember anything, blacked out. I was out, and the next thing I know, I wake up in an ambulance, and my son's right there and he had witnessed the whole thing oh how old was he he was only a year and a half at the time okay so you know too young to remember but i you know i didn't want to expose him to that yeah yeah that's tough yeah but things are a lot different now yeah no i know i know so okay so you end up at the hospital um were you married at the time yeah so they had called my wife, and I was just barely coming to in the hospital. I kind of like don't remember. I just remember waking up, and I was instantly sick. I wanted to get the hell out of there. But they had uh, Baker acted me because apparently when I was coming to, I said I just wanted to die, and they mm. took that as like a suicide threat. Yep. So uh, I had to spend three days in a uh, mental facility, which was just the worst time of my life because I was just really, really sick, and I kept telling him, I was like, I just, I know I need help. I just need to go to rehab. You know, I'm not mentally ill. I just, I'm, I'm sick. <laughs> exactly. Right. You know, and the, they just weren't taking care of me. They didn't care. And it, it sucked. <laughs> and how old were you then? I was 24 years old. Okay. Yeah. That was about almost two years ago now. Right. Yeah. Okay. But you were doing heroin before that. You just weren't shooting it? Yeah. So that was the only time I've ever shot up heroin. Oh, so how were you taking it before I was then. just smoking it. Oh, I got yeah. it. Okay. The, well. the heroin in Arizona is different than the heroin yeah. on the East Coast. Oh, yeah. It's a different form. Oh. So out there, it's it's a, it's like a, it's black tar. Yeah. Okay. It's like a hard, kind of like tarry looking substance, but it's like hard as a rock. Yeah. And people smoke it off tinfoil. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Um, on the East Coast, out here, where we are, the heroin's like a powder. Right? Oh, okay. So it's not, it's not often smoked. People either snort it. Or shoot they it. shoot it out in Arizona. They either smoke it or they or shoot, shoot it. it. Yeah. Why is there any kind of geographic difference? Why? <laughs> I think it just depends on where it comes from. Yeah, you know? I mean, the black and where tar- does the where does the black tar come Mexico. from? Mexico, Mexico. And where does the powder come from? Afghanistan. I think so. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like every time I bring someone on here, or I tell you some new tidbit, I blow your mind a little bit. <laughs> Well, <laughs> I, I, I'm assuming that by now the people who um, listen to the podcast know that I am just familiar with Narconon and pretty much everything I know about addiction I learned from Jason. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Not totally true, but <laughs> mostly, yeah. So, yeah, it does. I, I, yeah, you always blow my mind, Jason. Thank you. I try. <laughs> Hopefully, we blow the minds of people who are listening who get a clue that we know what we're doing. Okay, so two years ago, and you end up in a mental ward. Yeah. And then, um, so I spent three days in there and then I eventually made my way to my first and only 12 step program, which, you know, the people there were great and they really cared about me, but you know, I, I had a big problem with the 12 step program because I could never find myself surrendering to what is it? The higher power power thing. You know, it's just, I'm not a religious person and no matter how much they try to say, they don't push religion on you. It's like, 
wholly based on religion. It's really it's faith based. Yeah, it's faith I mean, yeah, the twenty one step pro, twelve step go twelve step the twelve step program is faith based. It yeah. just is. Yeah. I mean, it was created almost a hundred years ago at this yeah. point. Yeah. By a bunch of Christian guys yeah. that had a church group, and it was a way of getting off alcohol in the nineteen twenties. Right, yeah. but it's a faith based program. It is yeah. based on your faith in God. It is exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I. Uh, I stayed sober for about three months because I started working there. I just wanted, you know, I was trying to do anything I could just to stay away from drugs. And then uh, my wife was having a real hard time with me being away. And because my son was still really young at that point, still a big handful. So I decided to leave and go back to my old job, my old environment. And I was doing dope within two days again. What was your job? I was working at a fine dining restaurant called Mastro's out okay. in Arizona. Okay. Yeah, it's a it's a real big steakhouse, really fancy. I was making a lot of money there, and that was my problem. I was making too much money, so I could just spend whatever I wanted. And, you know, I was making two, three thousand dollars a night as a server. Out wow, there. I was making a lot of money. And yeah, it it was just it was bad because you know restaurant life is just nothing but you know cocaine, alcohol, and any other drugs that anybody can get their hands on out there. Wow, that is very true. Yeah, you know, and so I well, not I, when I was a bartender, okay, but. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I was just right back into doing Coke, heroin, and Xanax really, really bad. And, you know, within my wife found out within probably like another month. And, I mean, she, 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 I, I don't know why she still stayed with me. She, you know, she stuck with me through the whole thing. And then I started going to a Suboxone clinic. And, I mean, you know, I, I feel indifferent about Suboxone and Methadone because, it's just another, it's another, you're just replacing a habit with another habit. Right. You know, and it, it's a drug. It's right. a, it's a, it's an opioid, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, They're opiates. Yeah, yeah. It's opiates, you know, and I just felt like I was replacing one ritual with another, going to a clinic every single day and it was bad. It was just nothing. I, I felt like a zombie. I, I understand. I just want to stop you for a second because I just realized I, there's something I don't understand. So does did you do methadone as well yeah so does methadone get you high or does it just make you not get sick from the heroin it depends i feel it depends Depends. on your habit you know like like, if you if you have like like a small habit like you do a half a gram a day mm -hmm. you go take a hundred milligrams of methadone you get high Mm -hmm. okay um but then you get used to it and then you stop getting high and it just keeps you from getting sick and supposedly helps with cravings and stuff like and that. And Suboxone, same way? Same like way. you don't yeah. necessarily get high I, from it. You just don't get sick. One of yeah. the highest I have ever been in my entire life was before I ever did opiates. And someone gave me like a little sliver of Suboxone. Mm-hmm. I was high for two days. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's strong. Wow. It's like, yeah, I mean, I was, it, it kicked in at my girlfriend's house. She's like, what's wrong? I'm like, I'm just really tired. And obviously I didn't tell her what I did. And um, it's really strong. If you're not used to opiates, it will get you absolutely high. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. So you're doing methadone, suboxone, but that isn't really the yeah, solution. So I, I was doing methadone back in October of last year is when I first started going to a methadone clinic. And I had just relapsed a month before that. So I wasn't, I wasn't doing a whole bunch. I was doing like maybe a gram of heroin a day, which is not too bad but uh, the problem with methadone clinics is when you go in there they ask you if you want to increase your dose every single day so you can just keep going up going up and going up and going up and towards the end i was i think i was on like a hundred and 
20 milligrams. That's a lot of methadone. Yeah, I was like on 110, somewhere somewhere in there. I can't remember. But I, I'd be like falling asleep on my drive home. You know? Oh my God. How, how safe is that? Yeah. That's legal. <sighs> yeah. But wait, you, but, but no, but he, oh, he, so he can legally go dose at a methadone clinic. And drive. And drive home. Mm-hmm. But you still get a DUI if you got pulled over. Yeah. yeah. And it, okay. Especially in Arizona. Yeah. You have a metabolite law there. Mm-hmm. That means that if you get pulled over and they suspect you're under the influence of something, like a drug, that they can't breathalyze you if it's not alcohol, they can actually arrest you, take you to the police station, give you a drug test, and if you test positive for a narcotic, they'll actually give you a DUI. Yep. Okay. Yeah, and then... Um, so I didn't like the way methadone was making me feel after a while because I just felt like I was just getting high. And then uh, I had a buddy of mine who actually just died not too long ago. He had told me uh, Suboxone was way better. You don't get high off of it, apparently. <laughs> I'm going to stop you right there. So he died. Yeah. How did he die? He had cancer. Oh, okay. He was, he, you know, he oh, had a huge problem, though, too. But uh, he died from cancer. Yeah. Okay. And, All right. Yeah. So. So he got you on Suboxone. Yeah. So he told me to start going to a Suboxone clinic because it worked for him. And so I went to a Suboxone clinic and I was doing that for about eight months. And I was on 16 milligrams a day. Uh, that's a, that's lot. a lot of Suboxone. Yeah, that's a lot of Suboxone. And I just, it, I did not feel right. You know, I was, I was lazy. I didn't take care of myself. And it just got to the point where I was like, I can just start selling these, trading these. So I just got right back onto heroin. And within that, I was I was doing about an eight, like three point five grams of heroin a day because I was just trading my whole week supply of Suboxone just to get heroin because Suboxone's worth just as much out there. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Yeah. A three and a half grams of heroin is a lot of heroin. Okay. Yeah. It was it like was, you couldn't shoot that much heroin a day; you'd die. Yeah. Okay. Like but smoking it, you can actually you can overdose smoking it. Yeah, you can't. That's, like a, it's, that's it's hard. Like a, it's like a misnomer. If yeah. people think like you can't overdose sniffing or snorting, uh, uh, sniffing or smoking heroin, you absolutely can. It's yeah. harder to. You have to do more of it, but you can still overdose. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so there you are, and you're now on so, selling your Suboxone or trading your Suboxone for three point five grams of heroin. What happened next? Yeah, so that was back in July, and then uh, I decided I was like. I need, I need, I have a problem. <laughs> I, it was really bad at that point, And my wife was threatening to leave me. She was telling me she doesn't want my son to be around, you know, a drug addict like that. Cause I was, you know, it was bad. I, I can was, understand that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I have, I do not blame her one bit. Yeah. And, uh, so I decided I was going to go cold Turkey. So I went cold Turkey from doing an eight ball of heroin a day and it was the worst experience of my life. I mean, it was just terrible. And it got to the point where I still had Suboxone left over and I, I couldn't take it. So I just, I, I couldn't take the sickness anymore. Yeah, so um, I started uh, weaning myself off of Suboxone uh, from three and a half grams of heroin a day. And then I was just back in the same cycle, you know, going back to the Suboxone clinic. And uh, it was just, it was just terrible. It, nothing was working for me at that point. And then um, right before uh, Thanksgiving, like about a week before Thanksgiving, that's when I just said, I just gave up on everything. I just said, I'm going to go back to doing what I know. And that's, you know, lying, stealing, getting drugs, (laughs) doing whatever I can. Right. And uh, then my wife had found out again, you know, and she, she had came to me with options. She said, either you can lose your family or you can decide to get help. But she, she's 
flat out said, don't do it for me. Don't do it for your son. You need to do it for yourself. And, you know, I had, I had already knew I needed help. And so I said, I said, yes, of course I want to get help because nobody's going to help me. Nobody's going to, you know, nobody's going to do it for me. Right. I can't do it for anybody else. Right. And that was the decision I came to. So I, I came, uh, December 22nd and right before I came, um, like two days before I had come, my wife had, uh, just told me like, oh, I didn't want to come until after new year's because I wanted to spend the time with my family. I wanted, I, you know, I just, it was probably just me thinking in my head, man, I can get high for, you know, another week and a half. <laughs> that's exactly what was going through your head. You know what? Yeah, that's exactly what was going through your head. <laughs> yeah. So, and then, uh, yeah. And then on the 20th, I got a call from, you know, somebody at Narcanon and uh, they were like, yeah, you know, we're going to get you on a plane. You're coming. And I was just like, no, I'm not. And I hung up and I said, and I was already on my way to pick up drugs at that point. And, uh, and then my wife had called me back and she said, they called me and said you were very rude and hung up on them. <laughs> yeah, kind of. That's, that's unbelievable. That's perfect. And I said, uh, yeah, I know because I'm not going anywhere. And then that's when she hit me with the whole, you know, all I want for Christmas for you to go get help, you know? And I was like, but it makes more sense to go after new year's. And she's like, no, it doesn't because you never know when you can get arrested. You never know you can get shot. You never you know, know when you can die. Yeah, exactly. From an overdose. You know, there's so many, so many things that could happen. I really made me think it's like, man, I, I should do this. Yeah. So I came right before Christmas, which was one of the hardest things to do. Cause yep. it was the first Christmas I never spent with my family. Yeah. And ended up being the greatest decision I made in my life because wow. here I am. I'm I'm sober. I'm making great decisions in my life, and I just never could have thought that would be possible. Wow! For the longest time, I mean, I've been doing drugs since I was 12 years old, and you're 26. 20, 26. I just turned 26 a couple of days ago. Wow! So. Well, well done, you. Oh, thank um, you. I want to talk a little bit more about your experience on the program. Yeah. But um, I you probably saw us then because I think we came for Christmas dinner. We were there. Yeah, you were there. I I was still in withdrawal. Oh, withdrawal. Okay. <laughs> he wasn't coming out of there. He was. He was he was going through it. Yeah. Um, okay. Never mind. You didn't see us then when we were there <laughs> no, having dinner. I don't think he saw much of anything other than inside of a toilet bowl. Yeah. And, and eating the uh, pecan pie. Okay, we won't talk about that. So so, tell me, like one of the things I'm interested in is like when did you kind of realize that this program was going to really help you? That it wasn't like the twelve step program you'd done before, but there was something different. Tell me how what occurred there. You know. I, I would say it was like right when I like it was probably like after my first week in the sauna. Okay. Because, you know, the whole withdrawal process is completely different from anything that I ever been through. Right. And then, you know, how is it different? Tell explain so, that. You know, so you're used to going to a detox place and they're giving you Seroquel, Suboxone, stuff to put you to sleep, stuff to make sure you're not sick. Here, they're giving just, you more drugs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, they're just replacing drugs with drugs. Right. Right. <laughs> but at Narcanon, they, you know, it's just a, it's a total drug-free withdrawal. Right. And you, you go there thinking, man, this is gonna be the worst time of my life. But it was actually one of the easiest. Huh. Because, uh, go figure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because you know, you get a lot of vitamins, right? Yeah, and so minerals. You, yeah. You're taking a daily daily pack of vitamins. You're drinking Cal Mag, and you know you're doing locationals and assists. And, you know, at first I was like, I'm not letting anybody touch me. I was like, what am I doing? Right. But as you. So just so let me just explain to the people who are listening. Yeah. So CalMag is a combination of calcium. 
Magnesium. And magnesium. And there's certain kinds of calcium, certain kinds of magnesium, and they're in an acid base. And the reason why that, the reason why the guy, the person coming off of uh, drugs is taking that is because it helps to calm down the body and relax the muscles and put back what has basically the drugs have leached out of the body. The other thing Garth mentioned were locationals and assists, and we've talked about those before, but for anybody that's listening for the first time today, a locational is basically a procedure that gets the person's attention off of what their body's going through and onto the environment so that they can somewhat stay exterior to the whole withdrawal process and assist are the same way. They're basically to get the guy more in touch with, yeah, and help yeah, with the physical withdrawal. Exactly. And like actually the physical pain, the kicking, the cramping, the nervousness and anxieties, the physical assist really help and, you know, help, and, you know, assisting with that for lack of a better Exactly. Word. But the, the assist, assist with things, but it, 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 it helps. I yeah. mean, it makes a big difference because when you're getting a person's attention off the fact that they don't feel well, mm-hmm. they're getting it onto the world around them. They're not just laying in a bed all day. They're actually up active and engaged throughout the day. Plus you know, all their nutritional needs are met. Like Gar said, it ends up being kind of an easy withdrawal. Right. It's not that bad. Right. Not and at it, all. At least if you, go, if you go on Suboxone or Methadone or something like that, it delays the inevitable. Right. Mm-hmm. If you do opiates, you're going to kick at some point. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. You might as well just do it, get through it, and then just be done. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It's the same thing. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so go ahead. So then. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the withdrawal process was like anything I'd ever ever experienced before. Because, I mean, I you know they said drug free, but I didn't think they meant completely drug free. <laughs> you know, I, I was like, I, I was maybe like a little methadone, right? Wait, a little you mean, no, tra- no trazodone. <laughs> How am I going to sleep? You know, so, but you know, to say that it was painless, I would just be lying. You know, right. of course, you know, you're, when you're coming off of mad amounts of heroin and suboxone and methanol you're gonna feel like crap right but the difference is is that you know you have somebody there helping you right. every single day you know somebody is right there with you and it's i don't know how to explain it it's you you can tell that they truly care and they want to help you get through it you know and they don't they don't just of course they let you sleep when you can but they don't let you just lay there in your misery <laughs> right just feeling like you're gonna die well and most of them have been through it yeah exactly so you're not being, you're not True. like, you're not with somebody like me who's never experienced it and doesn't understand what you're going through. You're with someone like right. Jason who's been through it and knows how it knows what it feels like. Yeah. And that's, that's another one of the best things about that place is almost every single person who works there has been through the program and they know exactly what they're doing. You right. Know, and they know exactly how you feel. They've been in your shoes in one way or another. Right. You know, they may not have walked the same steps as you, but they've been down the same path as you. Yeah. And that's what's really, really cool. True. Yeah. Okay. So you said that it was in the sauna that you kind of got some a uh, glimmer of hope that this was going to work. Yeah. So when I when I after my about my first week in the sauna, I mean, I was hating it. It, it reminded me of home. <laughs> I was like, it's so hot in here. You know, get in your car and it's like 150 degrees in Arizona. That's how it felt for me. Right. But you're in there for five hours a day, so <laughs> it was it was a little rough at first. But you know, after I had, I had broken through a wall, you know, this whole mental barrier thing, and I just like kind of realized like, wow. Like this is way different. Like it's you're not just going to a meeting every day and being told like your life sucks and you <laughs> you're, and you're you sick a, and, and you'll never get better. Exactly, you, you have can't a, have control of it. You, you have an allergy of whatever they say. <laughs> you know, there's an allergy. an allergy to alcohol. Yeah, yeah. allergy to alcohol. I break I break out and but <laughs> I break out in relapses exactly. and cravings. Yeah. It's like and, what? And the biggest thing to me is that everybody's just so 
positive. You know, you go to AA, NA, any of those 12-step programs, it's like, yeah, they you, you can tell they want to help, but you go to a meeting and it's a, just a depressing, you know, people talking about they want to get high and that's all you hear all the time. And at Narcanon, it's just way different. Yeah. And I, it's hard to explain. I just had a feeling. It was like I knew it was going to work. You know, I knew something was different. You know, and that I, was while you were doing the detox, the yeah, new so life sauna when detox. I was exercising every day, taking vitamins, and it, you know, you, you just start eating right again. And right. You, you know, it's that's just what changed for me there. That's when I knew that it was going to work for me. That's awesome. Yeah. That's cool. awesome. Yeah. It's pretty cool when you get that glimmer of hope and you realize you're not a complete goner. Yeah. yeah. Did your wife come with you? Um, no, so I can't, I flew by myself. She had came to visit me about almost a month ago now. Okay. And, uh, she, I mean, she was blown away. By I'm everything. sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, she had even commented, you know, just like at my last rehab. Yeah. I mean, it was different cause I wasn't all messed up anymore, but she said, I seem different. Uh, you know, like it wasn't like I was just going through the motions. Like I was actually working for something because, right. you know, if, if that's one thing I learned about Narcan, I was like, yeah you can just blow through it and not get anything out of it. But you have to like, really, you have like, if you have to want it, it has to be a necessity. Yeah. You know, like, and you have to contribute to the, the whole procedure. You have to be an active part of your recovery process. Exactly. And she had just noticed that I I was trying hard for something for the first time, you know, since me trying to impress her. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's been a long time. And like, I, I I can honestly say this is my third greatest achievement in my life behind getting married to her and having my son. Wow. That's pretty heavy. That's heavy duty. And how long have you and how long have you and her been together? We've been together for seven years. That's awesome. And we've been married for almost four years. So, and you were, have done drugs for 14. So she's probably never even seen you like super clean. No. Yeah. So she comes from, a real christian family okay so she was very sheltered and then she okay. met me huh. <laughs> and she became unsheltered you were yeah. the bad boy <laughs> I, I was I, I was very bad okay and her dad didn't want any part of me being in a relationship with her because when i met her she was 17 and i was 19 okay and it was it was really bad i almost went to jail because because oh, she was underage because she was underage yep. and she he tried to go after me but she said i will never forgive you and i will never talk to you again so i was lucky i'm lucky when it came to that fair enough <laughs> but you're also your wife has never met like the new like responsible version yeah of that's right. what i mean she doesn't she truthfully doesn't know the real you which is a great guy you right. know she loved what she saw she knew it was there but yeah, yeah. Was, that's what she always tells me she's like i knew there's a good guy in there somewhere and i wasn't gonna let some other girl get <laughs> get, get my heart smart over. woman yeah, exactly is she still here um no so she they came from uh february 2nd through the 5th okay her and my parents came i got to see my son for a little bit awesome really awesome you know, i think i'm gonna fly back out to arizona either tomorrow or wednesday okay to go spend spend some time with them and come back so. okay good but, is, but she's gonna move here right yeah so she, she's gonna move here. here once i'm done with my senior student program which is probably okay. about september i think about yeah okay you know so so and, that would that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. And what would you like to do at Narconon? What job would you like to do? So I would like to be an ethics officer. Okay, fair yeah. enough. So let's explain what that is. Well, <laughs> and it, an ethics officer is some. It's a, it's a counselor. Well, it's a counselor, but the thing the thing that we've talked about that that's different about Narconon is that you 
you have to ultimately, once you've withdrawn and once you've done this on a detox and so you no longer have drugs in your body and you do the various objective procedures that get your attention off of the body and get you into present time, you then have to confront the problem for which drugs became a solution. Right. And oftentimes, you know, that has to do with decisions that were either moral, morally or ethically, ethically wrong. wrong. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's what we say. And Jason has said this, you know, Narcanon's not going to tell you if you're an addict that you have a disease, and you can never get better, but you made some pretty bad choices. Okay. Right. <laughs> and so once you come through all of that, you can, you can, figure out what were those bad choices and why did I make them and And make those wrongs right again. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because you obviously, you know, you said you stole from your grandparents. Well, I'm sure at some point along the line, you had to confront that fact and talk to your grandparents and say, you know, I did this. I'm sorry I did this or whatever and take responsibility, but that's great. I think you'll, I think you'll do really well at it. Thank you. (laughs) So I guess it is, it is, I just made a face at Joni as the dog starts yeah. barking, and I was like, oh, she's like, it's a house. Everybody knows, <laughs> you know, I have a dog. Kobe. He's now going out in the backyard, and he'll bark at somebody, whatever. <laughs> we do this in my house, okay? This is, like, not a professional recording studio, and, uh, yeah, that is my dog going nuts at the, probably the Amazon guy dropping a box. Poor on the Amazon porch. guy. He had no idea what was in store for him when he walked up to your door. There you go. <laughs> anyway, so let me ask you this. I don't think I've asked anybody else this in in your position, but... If you, what would be the one message you would want to put across to either someone who is listening who's addicted or someone who's listening who is a friend or family of an addict? What would you want to say to them? That's a hard thing. <laughs> Sorry. Um, Sorry for no, putting you on no, spot. That's fine. Um, I guess the one thing I would want to say is like, if you love yourself enough or if you love the person in your life yeah. that is afflicted by drug addiction, enough they should they they need to reach out yep. you know you're the first the first step to, <laughs> in my opinion to solving a problem is to reach out yep you know because everybody anybody who's a drug addict they know they have a drug problem yep. <laughs> whether they want to admit it or not yeah um reaching out because if you don't reach out what what's going to happen is you're going to continue to stay on the same cycle for the rest of your life yeah because it's, it's it just sucks. <laughs> like it's hard to it's and it's hard to reach out when you don't you know know anybody. Right, and I think that the thing that we try and put out there over and over again is that there is hope. Uh, there is hope, and there is help available. Exactly. And you know, even if you were to call Narcanon, you don't end up doing the Narcanon program, which would be a really big mistake in my opinion. But at least you can talk to people at Narcanon yeah. and you can get advice. And I think that... And get pointed in the right direction. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and the point is to get help and get treatment mm-hmm. and know that, you know, there is a way to get to where you were before you were doing drugs. There right. is an actual way to get back there because we're talking to Garth and Garth is back there, okay? Garth <laughs> is now like he was, you know, 15 years ago before he smoked his first joint. His true potential you know? is shining through. Exactly. exactly, exactly. And I see that with every graduate we've talked to, but especially with you today. Thank you so much for talking to us today, oh, Garth. Course. Well done. Again, yeah. Well done. Yeah. And we'll be back next week. Yeah. We'll come back again next It'll week. And, and uh, we'll talk about whatever, whatever 
chaos has ensued in this following <laughs> week coming with addictions. I'm sure something's going to come up that's going to bother me. They're going to have to come on here and yell and scream and jump up and down about, and we'll do that together. It, well, and we also have some other interviews that I did yes. at that, anti, that Drug Prevention Summit, right. and I will put those together so we can, ha- we can have those on the podcast like we did last week, which was kind of cool. Awesome. Okay, we'll talk again. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, call 877-339-3324 or visit www.narcononsuncoast.org. Narconon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard. 